I do encourage you week by week, if you have one at home, to bring your Bible with you. Um, we, we do put all the verses on the screen as well, but um, it would be good to get into the habit of, you know, we used to, you know, a long time ago, we used to carry our Bibles around, but uh, um, I'd encourage you to do that. It's good. So we're continuing our series in the book of Revelation, and we're into chapter 3. And we're looking primarily at the moment at the letters to the churches. And uh, this morning we're looking at uh, the letter to the church in Sardis. So it's chapter 3 and reading from verse 1 to 6. And the uh, reading's there on the screen if you want to follow it too. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, And you will not know at the time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that uh, together as we look at this passage that you will teach us and speak to us and we might hear your voice to us. Not only as individuals maybe, but as a collective body, your church in this place and maybe to the church as a whole. Lord, we we want to be people filled with your spirit, but also we want to be people of your word as well. So give us understanding. Give us, as Jesus says in this letter to this church, ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. It's uh, quite appropriate to, to ask for ears to hear because I don't know if you have ever fallen asleep in church. I've just caught someone yawning as I said it, but I won't embarrass anybody by looking over there again. It's just gearing up for the message, I know, I know. People fall asleep in all sorts of circumstances. I've got some pictures here. Isn't that amazing? Children can sleep anywhere. And uh, this one um, gives a new sort of style on sleeping at the wheel. There's another one. Oh, isn't that cute? And mass sleepovers. How about this? That's, I don't know if that's a school or something like that. And uh, some people do fall asleep in church. This guy was caught in church falling asleep. <laughs> the unfortunate thing, he was actually leading the service. That's always a bad sign. The person who's leading the service falls asleep. There are strategies for staying awake in church. Rowan Atkinson will demonstrate one. 
But I must say that it, falling asleep happens to the very best of us in all sorts of places. <laughs> Sorry, Alan, I didn't know you were going to be on the computer at the time when I put it on. And just in case you're thinking I'm being mean, that's me. <laughs> but I was just resting. You know, deep in prayer. That's what you were saying. No, he's not asleep. Sardis. It's one of the seven churches. I've got just a map to show you where Sardis is. John, um, who hears the revelation, he's on uh, the island of Patmos. He's in exile. And uh, many of his friends, uh, the apostles, have been killed. But he is there. And he receives uh, this revelation. And it begins with these letters to the churches. And we've done Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira. And we're on to Sardis. Just some background to the city of Sardis. Sardis had a very distinguished history. It was once considered one of the greatest cities of the world. Its wealth was legendary. It was the capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia. And one of its greatest kings was a man called Croesus. And under his rule and reign, Sardis flourished to the point that they got so confident in their wealth, in their security, stability, that Croesus embarked on a campaign of expansion and declared war on Cyrus of Persia. That was never a good thing to do, if you read through the Bible. The reality didn't match his confidence. The armies of Lydia were routed by the Persians and they laid siege to the citadel of Sardis. They went back to this amazing city, which they believed it was highly fortified. Strong walls, high walls, highly fortified. They thought they were impregnable. Yet the Persians overran it. Why? They didn't knock the wall down. The guards fell asleep. And so they just climbed up and in. The Great Wall of China is an amazing thing. It's 30 feet high, 18 feet thick, more than 2,400 kilometers long. And the goal was to build an absolutely impregnable defense. Too high to climb over, too thick to break down, too long to go around. But in the first hundred years of the wall's existence in China, China was successfully invaded three times. Not because anyone demolished the wall. They never climbed over it, never broke through it, never went round it. What did they do? The barbarians who came, they bribed the gatekeepers. Happened then, FIFA and all that. <laughs> Controversial. And it's interesting that legend tells us that Sardis fell because the watchmen fell asleep. Bear that in mind as we hear what Jesus has to say to the church in that city. Sardis fell a number of times under Alexander the Great. He uh, overran it. Another guy called Antiochus the Great. And in time the Romans came and conquered Sardis yet again. 
But again, it recovered and flourished, became wealthy on the wool trade, and uh, the art of dyeing wool was apparently discovered there. In AD 17, the city was destroyed by an earthquake. But through the generosity of the emperor Tiberius, the city was rebuilt. He suspended taxes for five years. Isn't that good? Very generous. Suspended taxes in Sardis for five years so that they could rebuild the city. And once again, the city flourished. Now, you didn't know you were coming for a history and geography lesson this morning, but there you go. Blessings. But what about the church? What about the church inside? We don't hear anything except for this passage in the Bible about this church. We don't know who founded it. We don't know any of its history. It's the only mention in the New Testament. But Jesus knows the church. He knows the church inside out as he knows every church inside out because he lives with his church. And we have in the passage that we read together an appraisal as it were. A report card, a diagnosis of this church's life. And it doesn't actually make easy reading. Just like the city, the church failed to live up to its confidence, to its early promise. This is one of the severest letters out of the seven letters to the churches. And Jesus sums up in a few simple words the spiritual condition of the church. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. What? Gosh, an amazing thing to say. Jesus saying to the church there in Sardis. It's as devastating probably as the earthquake in AD 17. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And the church wasn't dead because it was empty, it wasn't like sometimes when you call a dead church. I remember when we, one of the first visits we had to one of our neighbours in uh, Chipping Camden. And uh, the lady, she's since moved, so I think I can say this. She said, we only bought this house next to the church when we were in the building on the high street because the church was dead. All this noise. All these young people. We would have never bought the house. served her right didn't it really but (laughs) didn't say that she said to me that her father was a baptist superintendent and would turn in his grave at what we had done to the church he should be with jesus rejoicing that people have got saved and the church has grown anyway some churches are dead because they just dwindle And God has done an amazing work in Chipping Camden and beyond because he's revived a church that got down to just a handful of people. But Sardis wasn't like that. It wasn't just a church that had dwindled. It was a thriving church. It had a reputation for life. It was regarded as many as a flourishing, successful. It was a wealthy church. It was secure. It was complacent. It was lazy. Notice that this church, unlike all the other churches in these letters, are untroubled by persecution. Untroubled by the teaching of the Balaamites and the Nicolaitans and the the Jezebelites. 
Why? Because they were a church that just fitted in with the rest of the world. They looked no different from anybody else. They were not there as salt and light in the community. They were not challenging the pagan idolatry of the day. They had just fitted in just like them. And in a way, Satan's not bothered about a church like that. Not bothered at all. A truly live, vital church will always be under spiritual warfare. Because the enemy does not want a live church to succeed. And his plans have always been the same. Persecution, division from within, trying to break up churches from within. It's influence in a community or a society. But Sardis wasn't troubled by any of those. Jesus once said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Everyone spoke well of this church. What a great church. Yet the community in which it lived, which was rife with idolatry, rife with immorality, part of the whole culture of pagan worship, wasn't challenged one bit. Wasn't affected one bit by the presence of the church in that place. Maybe this is the first nominal church in the New Testament. Comfortable in the world. And if you took them away, the world wouldn't have noticed any difference. They'd lost their way. They had a great reputation though. The reputation is what the world thought of them. But the reality was what Jesus thought of them. And it's a challenge to us all, isn't it? Whether the reality lives up to the reputation. Now, I'm sure each one of us have a reputation with somebody or another. But does it match up with the reality? The reality is more important. The character is more important than reputation. I don't want this church to have a reputation of being alive but being spiritually dead. That's useless. Jesus sees right through to the heart of this church and its very heart has stopped beating. It's flatlined. Had a reputation with men but not with God. It had forgotten its first responsibility, which was to God. It's before God that each one of us will stand and give an account And we shouldn't therefore rate opinion of humanity too highly. Human opinion is overrated. Either becoming depressed when people criticize you or criticize the church. I I get very personal about the church here. Because sometimes we criticize people who don't know what's going on. But I shouldn't, I shouldn't get over depressed about that. As I shouldn't get over sort of puffed up if people flatter us. Oh, you're a great church, aren't you? Nor should we live on past achievements. And maybe that was true of Sardis, the city. They lived on past achievements. I know of many churches that live on that, past records. I know a friend of mine who went to a church 
And he knew that that church needed to be turned inside out. He knew that it had to have a a new brush come through it. And the people who were in the church saying, we don't really want change. We were a great church. We were were a preaching center. That's what they called themselves. A preaching center. That 30, 50 years ago, it was packed. and, And the balconies were packed as people flocked to hear that amazing preacher of the day. But it wasn't that church now. And he was a really brave guy. The membership dropped by half in his first year as the minister. Now, many people would think that is not successful. People left. People said, no, we can't cope with this new guy. He's talking about the Holy Spirit all the time. We're on the good old days. Yet without him doing that, the church would have died. And since that time, the membership has flourished and new people have come in and new people have got saved and it's a thriving, healthy, living church now. Living on past achievements. We see it in the Bible. Came across this week of Gideon. Gideon was a great man of God, raised up by God. He didn't think he was a great man, but God raised him up. And he had an amazing victory. And after his amazing victory that saved Israel, he made a golden ephod to commemorate the victory. Yet that ephod became an idol to the people. And he didn't do anything about it when the people started worshipping it. Do you know people can make idols even within church? We can make worship an idol. We can make people idols. We can make even our ministry idols. God comes first. Jesus comes first. All the time. Submitting to him. I remember being told by someone... It's hard to please everyone, isn't it? No, it's not hard to please everyone. It is impossible to please everyone. And we're not here to please everyone. We're here to please him. Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, that's who we're here to please. Jesus' criticism of this church has echoes of his criticism of the Pharisees. They were very religious. They were sort of super spiritual people, so-called by people who looked at them. They had a reputation. But Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. They look great on the outside, but inside they're dead. Because Jesus looks through to the motives, the attitude, the heart. And as he looks at this church... It's just like the world. They didn't have a prophetic voice in their culture, in their society. When people were bowing down to Caesar and declaring Caesar as Lord. Caesar Lord? No, he's not. What's Caesar ever done? Jesus turned water into wine. He raised the dead. He cleansed lepers. He rose from the dead. He is God in the flesh. He is Lord. It can happen to churches. It can happen on an individual scale in our own walk with God. It can happen even to a nation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was one of the people who stood up against Nazi Germany and paid with his life for it, said the Nazis rose because the church fell asleep in Germany. No one opposed him. 
No one said, this is wrong. Even Martin Neumuller said that when, when Hitler started persecuting the Jews, he wasn't bothered because he wasn't a Jew. When Hitler started persecuting the Catholics, he wasn't bothered because he wasn't a Catholic. And then when Hitler started persecuting the Protestants of one he was, there was no one left. The church fell asleep. The implicit warning from Jesus is, and it's quite stark, isn't it? This is, this is not a good letter to receive if you're the church, is it? The implicit warning is they will be blotted out from the book of life. I bet you there were those in Sardis saying, well, I was saved 15 years ago. Once saved, always saved. No, you've got to live with Jesus. Live with him. Walk with him. Serve him. Can't just rely on the past. Implicit warning, they'll be blotted out from the book of life. The lampstand will be removed. Isn't it interesting that it's Jesus who threatens to shut down the church here? Not Satan. Satan's not bothered about this church. It's having no impact in the community. But Jesus says, you will be blotted out. And churches do close, don't they? You travel around the Cotswolds, all the redundant church buildings, and we're praying for revival because we desperately need it. So that's the diagnosis. It's not good, is it? So what's the remedy, quickly? Five things he says to this church. Wake up. You've fallen asleep. And that's that mirror of Sardis, the city, fell because the watchman fell asleep. And we're called to be watchmen in our society, watchmen and women. We mustn't fall asleep. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember what you have received and heard. Obey it. Repent. And even now, Jesus says, it's not too late for this church. And he says that there are some genuine believers still there. Even in the midst of that church, there are some genuine believers still there, hanging on, hanging in. Who had not soiled their clothes, which is a reference to the immorality that had crept into the church. And no one was saying anything about it. Not immorality of the world, immorality within the church and idolatry. But Jesus says, to him who overcomes, you'll be like them. Because if you walk with me, and he he uses this imagery, you'll be dressed in white. You will be never blotted out of the book of life. I will acknowledge their names before my father and his angels, says Jesus. Ancient registers were often taken. When the book of life is mentioned in in the Bible, there are often uh, in the ancient world these registers. And your name was taken off these registers when you died. Isn't it brilliant that the church is the only organization that never loses a member through death? Isn't that brilliant? 
If you belong to Jesus, even though you die, you will live. Your name is written in the book of life. That's our destiny. And to those who have fallen asleep, and notice the metaphor has changed here from death to sleep. He says, wake up, repent, obey, strengthen what remains, remember what you received and heard. This is particularly appropriate for this church. Because the city fell, because people fell asleep. The church has fallen asleep. Wake up, be on your guard, otherwise judgment will come like a thief in the night. And I want to pick up on these words. Remember what you received and heard. Never forget what it felt like the first time you heard the gospel The first time you understood in your heart that Jesus loved you, that he gave his life for you, that all your sins were forgiven and he had given you eternal life as a gift. Nothing you could do to earn it and he loved you in an undying love. Remember that day and never forget it because we're prone to forget. We are. In our humanity, in the stuff of life, in the ups and downs. Never forget the day Jesus saved you. When he hung on the cross for you. When he endured such pain, such torture. And he didn't have to, but he did it for you and for me. Never forget it. That thrill. I remember when I was first saved, I couldn't stop smiling. People at work thought I was weird. I stopped swearing overnight. They thought I was even weirder. They heard I was called to Christian ministry. That was gone. Remember, Jesus changed your life. You were once in darkness and now you're in the light. Church, we need never forget that. Because when we do, it's all about us not about us all about him and one day we're going to meet him face to face and you'll be able to say whatever you want to say to him and we know some of our friends have gone before us they're already in his presence what glory is that what would you say to him (laughs) maybe we can't say anything flat on your face And yet sometimes we come to worship to meet the same one. Yes, no, we can't see him yet. But we know he is real and true and worthy of the best we can bring. So we serve him with the best we can bring. Whatever we're doing in the church life, we're doing it for him. Not for ourselves. Not for any kudos it gives us. It's for him. Bless you when you clean the church for Jesus. Bless you when you do the mundane that nobody notices. We're sorry if we never notice, but you're a star. Jesus notices. Do you know that? He notices. And you're doing it for him, after all. Mick's looking for more cleaners, by the way, but I said I might slip it in, you know. We need some more team. Remember what you received and heard. But more important, they had received the Holy Spirit. They had. 
When they believed in Christ, they'd received the Holy Spirit, yet they had quenched him. They had grieved him. He was almost locked out of the church. We can do this without God. And churches can. Churches can operate without God. They can do the motions, go through the motions. And people might even say, is that a great church? But God's not there. He's left. We'd never, oh Lord, that we might ever be a church that Jesus says, you've forgotten me. Holy Spirit. And we know that's true because we've been brought up Certainly in the church in this nation for years, the Holy Spirit was never mentioned. It was called the Holy Ghost for so long. How stupid is that? He's not a ghost. He's a person of the Trinity. The greatest gift God gives us because it is God that is closest to us. He is the one who makes us more like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit. He is the one who transforms us, brings life. Brings the dead to life. He is the one who can revive churches. Some churches, the fire has gone out. And the Holy Spirit wants to get back in. And he's resisted and he's resisted. Let that not be true of us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. How can we make immorality within the church acceptable? We're temples of the Holy Spirit. No, we're not shouting boo at the world because Jesus loves every single one of them. But when we start following Jesus, it calls for a radical transformation in our lives because the Holy Spirit is at work. This church had just tolerated so much. That's why Paul has to say when he writes to the Ephesians, don't get drunk on wine and all those things, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that exalts Jesus. And we need more. We need more. We need more. We're praying for revival in the Cotswolds. We need more. I have heard people say, well, we have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I know that's true. We have the same spirit that lived in the apostles. I know that is true. But we don't have the full measure of it. If we had the spirit that the apostles had at work in our lives, we would be doing what the apostles did. And I, for one, am not. But I want to. I want to. I want to see Jesus glorified. I want to see the sick healed because Jesus touches their lives. I want to see people saved in great numbers because they recognize Jesus is alive. And he can use each one of us. His Holy Spirit. Do we have a hunger for more? Have we stopped hungering? We must never stop hungering. I remember meeting a minister uh, and I talked about revival and my passion for revival, my longing for it. And he said, I was like you once. And I understood completely just been battered and bruised, battered and bruised, even by the church. Fire had gone down a bit. 
Let's never let our fire go out. Keep hungry for God. Keep hungry for his word. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, but do we want to be filled? We possess him, but does he possess us? Do we have a reputation for life, but the reality doesn't match it? To wake up, Jesus says, strengthen what remains, obey, repent, remember what you heard and received. And what a promise is this. Hold on to this church. What a promise is this. One day the book of life will be opened. And those who have walked with Jesus, their names are there. And we'd be dressed in right. That's the symbol of holiness, purity, resurrection. And Jesus will acknowledge our names before the whole of heaven. How amazing is that? Jesus will acknowledge the whole of, to the whole of heaven just that we were humble enough to receive him. Not based on your performance. Oh God, we'd all be lost. Not based on our performance. Based on our faith. That we trusted in Christ. And so this morning, it's a real challenge, isn't it? Gosh, to be in that church when this letter was read out, I reckon there were silence, don't you? Let's pray. Let's just spend just a moment in prayer. In fact, let's stand, shall we? Can we stand together? I'm going to ask Duncan to come back with the band. And it's easy to, to hear the message and say, right, that, oh, that was interesting or whatever. But maybe God has spoken. Maybe he's speaking to us as a church and we just need to pause a moment. And let's just be still. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you right now just to come and minister your grace. Fall on us afresh. Revive us. Lord, we are hungry. We are thirsty for you. Hear the cry of the church in this place. We don't want to just settle for what we've seen. We don't want to live on a reputation that happened years ago. We want to see you move now and in the days to come. Please, will you revive us? And where our hearts are gone complacent or cold, renew us again. Holy Spirit, we invite you just to come and fill us now. Fill us afresh. Give us a new hunger and new passion for you. That we might remember what we heard and received. The great news of the gospel is for us. How Jesus loves us. Maybe you just need to hear that this morning, that Jesus loves you. Hear it again. Maybe you've got tired and weary. Hear it again. Jesus loves you. Died for you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, the Father gives the Holy Spirit to all those who ask. And let's ask. In your own heart, just be asking for more. Mm. The Holy Spirit. We need you more. We're going to sing that song. We're just going to use it as a prayer. We need you more, God. More than yesterday. We don't want to live on yesterday. We need you more. Let's pray.